White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 Call your sons! Call your daughters! Holy cow! Carlton Fred has put the White Sox ahead! There goes number 400! The Big Fred Barry takes a perfect game! His second no-hitter! You can't put it on the board! Yeah! Can it go? Grand Slam! The White Sox winner and a World Championship! Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson! This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked On Socks. I am Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. This is episode number 51. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing great, Herbie. Episode 51 of Locked On White Socks is brought to you by rockauto.com. All right, so 51. This is actually, there's, there's a newsy one in here, but uh, when I think number 51, I will always think of the great Jason Bure in his rookie campaign in 1993, finishing uh, with a great year that year. Only wore the 51 for one season for some reason. Uh, he should have stuck to it because in 1993, Jason Bure went 12-5 and with an earned run average of 3.47, and uh, he finished second in the AL Rookie of the Year race to who? Do you remember who won the AL Rookie of the Year in 1993? I do not. Hmm. How about uh, Tony Salmon? Uh, Do you like bones in your fish? Tim Salmon won it uh, in 1993. <laughs> so Jason Bure has a fine 1993 and ditches the 51 forever. He goes to 46, and then except he goes back to 51, but in 1998 in Cincinnati. So he, he realized what he was doing with the 46 wasn't working. Let me throw the 51 on. And he did that for only one year in Cincinnati. Now, I'm starting – this is maddening here. <laughs> he, then he changed from 46 again his next year in Cincinnati. What is going on here with Jason Bure and the numbers? I don't know. He's throwing flashballs at us yeah, all day long. That's right. Yeah. We'll have to do a deep dive later on and find out what the hell's really going on here. You know. Uh, also, notable number 51s. Uh, do you have any Mike Bertotti <laughs> memories of 95 to 97? I do not. I don't know who that <laughs> is at all. Me neither. That's not a real Pit, person. Yeah. Uh, we used to call him Tots back in the day, those who knew him well. Um, <laughs> uh, John Roush, t- 2002 to 2004, wore the number 51 for the White Sox. Big man. Is he still the <laughs> tallest guy ever in Major League Baseball history? Uh, I guess I we'll, think that it was his claim to fame, and then we got another tall guy later. It was going to talk about it in a second. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, 2005, uh, Luis Vizcaino, great, great year as a mop-up guy. Came over in the Scotty Pods trade for Carlos Lee. It was one of those guys, you know, that ended up helping a lot, especially in those dog days in, in 05. You know, you just need some guy to to get out there and eat up innings for you. And Luis Vizcaino did that for sure. And then here's the tall guy you were talking about here. Andy Cisco, right? 2007? Yeah. Yeah, that's the tradition of getting former Royals who used to do things versus the White Sox and then saying, oh, maybe they could do stuff for us. Still hasn't worked out. It's still bad because Calvin Herrera is still bad for us. And one of, I think, I could say this pretty safely here. I'm going to speak on your behalf as well, but you talk about mm-hmm. one of my favorite players to watch uh, before he became a White Sox in all of baseball was Alex Rios. You're talking about a guy who could do it all, could run, had a great arm out there, hit for power, hit for average when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays. I was was so excited in 2009. I I was there in the uh, score studios when, when I believe it was Jesse at the time, had the report that the White Sox just claimed Alex Rios off of waivers from the Blue Jays, and I was I was dumb excited that day. What do you remember about Alex Rios' tenure in a White Sox uniform and watching him sort of before and after? As I'm a contrarian, I, of course, loved Alex Rios, where most Sox fans loathed him and thought that he was a lazy la- slacker with his long looping strides. They thought that as a... Uh, you know, the guy's uh, taking some time off and he's not running out hard. He actually got benched for that later in his Sox career. I thought he was underwhelming overall, but I think he got way too much hatred from White Sox fans 
for his total play. Yeah, he wasn't great, but you know, he brought us Lurie Legend. So he really did, yeah. and we're we're gonna get to your apology to Lurie Legend in just a minute here. But just rounding out the top uh, results here for Jersey number fifty-one is someone who's in the news today. Number one pick of twenty sixteen. Carson Fulmer uh, was DFA'd by the Sox. He did not make the taxi squad, didn't make the big league roster. But today he latches on to the Detroit Tigers. And I've got some quotes here for you before we talk about Carson Fulmer a little bit. This is what Carson Fulmer had to say to Detroit writers today on why it didn't work in Chicago. This is from Scott Merkin's Twitter. Quote, to keep a long story short, there was a lot of things that I did the last couple years that I just wasn't used to. Mechanical changes, I could get into all that. Uh, by the, but at the end of the day, I really wanted to get back to who I am, and that's pitching with my mentality and my competitiveness. I love to win. Putting mechanics aside, putting all the analytical stuff aside, all the stuff that is in baseball now, and just getting back to who I am. Uh, and that's competing at the highest level, winning at the highest level, and just giving my team a best chance to win. Are you buying this from Carson Fulmer? Just needs a little change of scenery, and, uh, and, and Coop didn't fix him. Coop made him worse if, if you're if you're reading into all the things that people are saying today. Weirdly enough, I do believe the kid because he was the eighth overall pick, picked before his teammate, Walker Bueller, who's doing work out there in L.A. Um, I just don't believe that Carson Fulmer was a bum the whole time. And this is what, you know, the natural progression would have been. I think some team is going to get him, maybe not the Tigers. Some team's going to get him and unlock the potential, which is Carson Fulmer. Maybe not the first-round guy, but a guy who's going to be a contributor eventually to a team that's doing some work. I, I just, I mean, I am i don't feel like blaming Coop and the whole pitching staff and the minors, but they never unlocked what the kid can do. Maybe some other team can do it. Good luck to him. He was a terrible White Sox player. But I don't hold it against him necessarily because he wasn't trying to be bad. And if this White Sox thing about him like uh, having to change his mechanics from the guy he used to be at Vanderbilt to the guy he is now as a DFA recently claimed to Detroit Tiger, if this is what he needs to have to have the freedom to do what he wants to do and go back to his old mechanics, it's his career. Do what you want to do, man. If a team allows you to do that, I'm sure the White Sox were, you know, willing to have him do anything. And I remember the year before, they're like, yeah, he went to the drive line and he got in the best shape in his life and then came back that last year and he sucked. And then this year again, everybody's like, man, Carson looks great. He's doing this, that, and the other. And then we saw in the summer game that he was the same guy. So good Godspeed to you, man. Whatever you need to have happen for you, Carson Fulmer, to get better, to be the best. I'm going to be rooting for you except for when you're playing the Sox. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the driveline thing because that happened an entire year ago. That wasn't something that he came into this spring training with and all of a sudden he was Mm -hmm. ready to go. So he had already seeked outside help, which is becoming kind of a norm in the White Sox organization, Lucas Giolito being Uh the the first notable one, seeking outside help from – from you know former coaches and former teammates and and then Dylan Cease reportedly did the same thing this year you know and and I, and I don't know what to make of all of it because I'm sure the Sox supply all the resources their pitchers need but when you're talking about competing at a major league level and you're a starting pitcher sometimes you have to find sources of inspiration or things that click better for you different resources outside you know I, I think that's a good thing um, you would like to have, have players have everything in house in order to succeed, but you know when you're talking about such a mental game, especially out there pitching every five days, it's you know sometimes it helps to go find you know to talk to someone who's a little more familiar with you as a person or someone who communicates better. You know, not all teachers, you know, going back to when you're in school, not all teachers could reach all the kids the same. You know, so mm-hmm. if, if you can get outside help, more power to you. But I just find this funny because. After you mentioned driveline and also the Sox hiring Danny Farquhar to be in their organization and, and sort of uh, help with the minor league pitching aspect, that's what you start to see Lucas Giolito. You know, he taught Lucas Giolito the, uh, the the fastball that he used mostly to get his success last year because Danny Farquhar learned that from the Tampa Bay Rays organization. So you, you look at that element to it. The Sox are, are supposedly on this more 
progressive side of of modern pitching analytics you know they're trying they're trying so hard to catch up to the rest of the field here on this one but they're making all the strides so that, that's why I'm not buying this here with Carson Fulmer we saw him you know come up and fail many times and, and, and it hurts to watch that you know it, to watch a kid struggle like that you know you could see it you could see it on his face and you could feel the emotion it just it was so frustrating to watch and I think you are right, and this is why it's so risky sometimes to, to draft these these pitchers so highly, number one, and there's no such thing as a surefire number one pitcher, pitching prospect, you know, when, you, when you're drafting. And it's just, I think he'll, he'll figure it out also because I think he's going to have ample opportunities with the Tigers to figure it out. They're going to roll him out there every fifth day. He's healthy enough, to, and he's stretched out enough to be a starting pitcher. I think you'll see him out there after their first injury or if they've got a doubleheader or whatever, I think you'll see them out there relatively in, in short order. If anything, maybe to get some state secrets from the White Sox and just try to see what other things that the, the Sox have been doing. But also there's just, you know, a guy like Fulmer, there's just not a whole lot of room for, for guys like that. There, There's people behind him and their trajectory is already about to surpass him. You look at someone like Dane Dunning, who was acquired after and he's a guy that we're going to talk to in a second because all of a sudden the Sox have some problems here in their rotation. But you just look at other guys. I, I just think he fell out of favor in the organization with, with with all the people that matter. And whether that was self-inflicted, whether it's just you know bad circumstances, things just not working out, and, and bad luck a lot of times plays with this too. Like I, We talked about it in the spring. Carson Fulmer, I think, was most likely a lock to make this team uh, on the opening day roster. He pitched well enough, and we know how it goes. Early on in MLB seasons, April, May, bad weather, rain, I think you would have seen him out there, and who knows what happens after that. But he's sort of a victim of circumstance here. Uh, A lot of that self-inflicted and a lot of that outside factors, but I think we can say 100% that we hope it works out for him. You know, he he seemed like a good kid in his time here. Um, it just as long as it doesn't work out against the White Sox, but you know, you, you, you wish him success, but drafting pitchers number one, always a risky proposition. Before we move on to the next topic here tonight, Herbie, we want to let you guys know that this episode of Locked on White Sox is also brought to you by our friends at CBDMD. Now, it doesn't matter if you're pro athletes, a stay at home parent, maybe a podcaster, radio producer like us, so you just spend eight hours in an uncomfortable office chair. I can relate to that. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our good friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets a little chaotic. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recover is a product that combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else CBMD has to offer, they're offering you guys, our Locked On Socks listeners, 25% off your next order when you use the promo code locked on MLB at checkout once again that's cbdmd.com and the promo code is locked on MLB and that'll get you 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD the floor is yours Herbie you had mentioned to me how you wanted to apologize to Leori Garcia go ahead No, Not really. No. I, mean, I didn't really. I really didn't go really hard at Louis. I just said he was, he was terrible at baseball. But isn't it funny that's though? The only thing. That's so funny how how this works out in baseball. Of course. So we spent our Friday night, the first post game recap we ever do here as a team on Locked On White Sox, and we're getting on Leori Garcia for looking terrible in the field and botching four balls and and not looking particularly good at the plate. And what does he do Saturday? During Dallas Keuchel's debut for the White Sox, Dallas gets the victory. What does Larry Garcia do naturally? He homers twice, one from each side of the plate. So it's just that is the most baseball thing. It doesn't mean we're wrong, but it's of course that happened the next day. And a lot of people were getting after us on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, you, we call Larry Garcia uh, a utility knife sort of guy, and that's all he is. But after that performance Saturday, I think he's more of a survival tool. Like, he's, you know, you, you see those things on those infomercials. That, oh, this is the thing that it's a shovel, it's a knife, it's a saw, it starts fires, uh, it's an axe, it folds your shirts, <laughs> it does your taxes, you know, it's it's got a little, it's got a porch like a fleshlight does, so you can have sex with none it. Of, it does none of that stuff. <laughs> Leori, you, that don't, stuff you, you don't see Leori? Adequately. He's not a survival tool to you? You don't think, you don't think this is a coming out party for Leori Garcia how many years into the league? 
<laughs> like I said, doesn't do any of that those things like greatly. He just does them <laughs> adequately, so they're done. But they're not done like with expert uh, precision. He's fine. I mean, when he did those home runs, I had a little mea culpa. I was like, <laughs> you know, Larry's on the couch with his feet stumping on the White Sox fans and saying "f your couch" inward. So whatever, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. Larry Garcia, keep on going. I will keep on talking poorly about you if you keep on producing like this today. Larry, no hits. You know who did have a hit though today? Luis Robert to center field, way back there. It carries and gets out of here. Find that baseball and hand it to number 88. Bring him home for the first time as a White Sox player. Luis Robert with his first Major League home run today. Of course, we'll have an episode chronicling his first uh, week in the big leagues later on this week in our Locked On Luis Robert miniseries. But Luis Robert was about the only one that showed up today. The big story in this game today, before we get into the actual lineup, the, the Sunday lineup when you needed a victory today, um, Reynaldo Lopez today. He was horrendous, and he was hurt. He's got shoulder tightness, and that's never a good thing. Do we see Ronaldo Lopez pitch again this season for the White Sox? Yes, because they keep on trying to make the Ronaldo Lopez thing happen. I've warned you, White Sox fans, this season, and I know you guys getting on me under 500 record, we have Ronaldo Lopez as our number three pitcher. A guy who was one of the worst pitchers in baseball last year. I don't like. I'm, I want him to be healthy and I want him to be good, but none of the things are happening for Ronaldo Lopez. I want for going in the future us to either go with Dane Dunning, and I know he didn't pitch well today, but Giovanni Gonzalez can he have a start, an actual thing where he knows he's starting, he goes over the lineups, he. Starts the game with a clean slate, all that stuff, and let's see him. The Ronaldo Lopez thing, I was already shaky on. I was very questionable to have him as the number three starter. I know the numbers don't count, but you know Minnesota hits people like Ronaldo Lopez very hard, and he can't find the strike zone and letting people on the bases all the time. Put Dylan Cease there. I would have much rather had Cease starting today or even Carlos Rodon, and I know that he's coming off a of shoulder surgery, so you don't know how many pitches he could throw, but Minnesota has power from the left side of the plate, I think, mostly. I mean, and their main bopper, of course, is uh, Nelson Cruz Boomstick, who hits from the right side, but, I mean, Max Kepler, and then you go Polanco, and you go in Rosario. Like, they just have these lefty bats that are tough to beat. And I think throwing a lefty like you saw with Dallas Keuchel on Saturday, like shut that down. It 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 it, it uh, neutralized that offense. They didn't know what to do with a slow ball throwing, change of speed, hitting both sides of the plate type of guy like Dallas Keuchel with a masterful performance. Ronaldo Lopez was the wrong call already. So even before we get into the lineups, let's strike one against uh, Ricky. Renteria and the rest of the staff who chose to have him as the third pitcher coming out of the shoot. And he looked very uncomfortable early on. You know, he almost got out of that inning the first two first two outs he recorded and then it's, you could tell the velocity was down. He started wincing a little bit after each pitch. He said after the game that it, that the the tightness in the shoulder sort of it ramped up after every pitch that he threw. I I don't think you'll see him pitch again. I think he, this is an immediate DL stint. I think you'll get your wish, and we're we're right on par with with that suggestion of Dane Dunning. I think you'll see Geo make the next start in his stead, and then you'll see someone call up you know called up like Dane Dunning to replace him. And who knows if 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 Dane will even get a start. Uh, I guess it all depends on the White Sox situation at the, at the moment and how Geo does in his next start. But yeah, I think Dane Dunning will, will come up and replace him, or maybe they'll give Jimmy Lambert a start in there because they I know they liked him a lot as I have mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, it was, it was just not, not not the way you want to end a, a, a series with the Twins before you head out on the road. This is one you had to have today, and we're gonna say that about games like this in a short season. You're already sitting at one and two. It's you and it's the Royals uh, in the cellar of the American League Central as the Sox head to Cleveland on Monday with Dylan Cease on the mound. Yeah, it, it was kind of baffling to me the order of the rotation, and I don't know how much of this was related to the, to the work ramping up and the, the schedule they had, but you know we had plenty of time to get the rotation set here, and I think Carlos Rodon, 
even though he's coming off the TJ and and Dylan Cease, I think they had better cases, like you mentioned, to, to be that in that number three spot instead of Ronaldo. And you know, I, I was high on Ronaldo this year, and hopefully, what he's going through right now, the injury wise, is just a minor setback and doesn't require you know major surgery. Salute, but I, I said that Ronaldo was going to take a step, and now I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if if, if he's hurt. You know, he looked decent early on, but I don't know what to make of this. And, and hopefully this is not the last we see of Ronaldo Lopez this year. Uh, but it was kind of odd, though, how they didn't go out there and, and sniff out what was going on earlier because he just did not look right uh, from the very beginning. Uh, so the Sox lose today. They're 14-2 to losers over the Twins. The Twins pound out 27 runs over yeah. the three games here. And... Um, you got a scouting report on Nelson Cruz that you'd like to share? You, uh, he was 7 for 13, 538, three home runs, 10 RBIs, seven of those today, which, hang on a second, yes, that's actually very good, uh, seven RBIs in one day. Do you have any? I don't. How do you get him out, Herbie? <laughs> you don't. Like, I obviously think that he's some new player, that this will pass, he'll calm the fuck down, and once we just throw pitches over the plate, he'll get himself out. No. This has been happening ever since he signed with the Twins, and before this, too, to a lesser extent. But he is a dickhead when it comes versus the Sox. <laughs> I love the guy otherwise. Not you know, dickhead as in, you know, bad guy, but he like he's the guy that you don't want to like because he just kills your team and murdered. Like You got him down for 7 for 13. God damn. Three home runs. Ari <laughs> leads the league in home runs. And there were no doubters. That first one he hit the other day, laser shot out of there. And then the two today, I mean, I mean, god damn. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing to like, I don't know. It's Is it a Jason Kubel scouting report that you found one time? <laughs> just a blank page, yeah. Or just, just a, number four on it is in Wacom, you know. I, I don't understand. You know, That's he, what I would do. Grant, granted, he's had a, a, a nice time uh, against the White Sox, but it's not like uh, the White Sox are the only team that he's doing this against. So that's that's the only way that I can sleep tonight is knowing that it's not just the White Sox. But I think it's maybe it's he's, he, he's scorning them for all those opportunities they had to sign him over the last mm, – eight years or so since he left Texas where he was a free agent seemingly every year and every team out there had a chance to grab him. Seattle, Baltimore, Minnesota, any of those, he would have been a good addition in, in, in retrospect, you know, to any of those White Sox teams. Oh you God, you yeah. could love, you could love 30 home runs in your lineup, just injecting your lineup with 30 home runs. So, you know, I, it's good that we don't have to see him again for a while, but, it, but we're still going to see him a lot. Uh, Nelson Cruz and the Minnesota twins, uh, other things today, um, that were concerning. Uh, Eloy Jimenez still doesn't know what a warning track is, still doesn't know what an outfield fence is. They, he was pulled from the game uh, with dizziness. I uh, said he was lightheaded. So you worry about a couple things here. You worry about him banging that shoulder, and that means he can't have any baseball activities for the next week or 10 days. And then you worry about maybe concussion protocol. Uh, I was trying to see what was going to go down after the game today, what they had to say, but they're just going to reevaluate Eloy and uh, Reynaldo Monday before the game in Cleveland. So by Monday's post-game recap, we'll have some more information, hopefully. And hopefully it's nothing. Hopefully Eloy's in the lineup on Monday against the Indians because they're going to need him now because all of a sudden you've got a three-game series against a team that's better than you in, in their home park. So we need Dylan Cease to step up on Monday night and hopefully Eloy's in the lineup but I'm just I'm, I'm very surprised that this is still a thing we're talking about with Eloy Jimenez's outfield defense and I guess more so lack of awareness I'm fine if you're bad out there but you got to know how to not get yourself hurt that's twice now that he's been hurt because of a battle with the wall that he lost yeah I um I have like just in my amateur doctor uh, analysis that man has a concussion. I said that initially to Courtney when we're watching the game live. Because, you know, when they tell you to watch the finger and usually yeah. your eyes are just supposed to track it? Yeah. His whole head was moving. Like, he was moving his whole head just to, like, go with the thing. And I could tell that, like, right after the camera had him, he was trying to shake out cobwebs. Yeah. That man has a concussion. Yeah. And that's why, you know, he looked so lost on the hit that looked routine to me he was trying trying to track the ball i think it was going to be a double no matter what but he didn't look like he was going after the ball tracking it like a regular left fielder would be doing uh and then he called out right after that i think he has the dizziness is because he has a concussion 
I don't know why they don't, you know, they, if they want to stave off of that because they know concussion protocol is a certain amount of days, I can get it. But also, I want my man to be 100% healthy when he comes back. He has a, a knack for doing this, for hitting his fellow outfielders, for hitting himself into the wall, getting injured. I keep on telling Sox fans, this man is a designated hitter. And he wants to, you know, push back from that because he's a young cat, 23. Doesn't want to be a designated hitter all his life. And now they have like five of them on their team and one permanently installed in there in Edwin Encarnacion. So maybe he's thinking, you know, maybe next year, the year after, whatever. His destination for his baseball career, especially since he doesn't learn, like he took at least two steps on that warning track before he like decided to kind of jump to get the ball. I was like, the awareness is not there. The peripherals are not there. I don't get it. He's a young cat. He just needs to learn to be careful in the outfield that that is not his job. To catch the ball or to go after home runs is not his job. To catch the balls that are at him directly, do it. To throw the ball into the infield, do it. Other than that, just make sure you make it out of the outfield 100% so you can do what you're here to do, which is to hit the baseball. That's it. So I need somebody to express that to that man because I don't think he understands that he's not that fielder guy. He's not. You don't have to be that 100% guy. Give me 50%. Just give me the bat. Yeah, and that's all we need from you. Yeah, I, I hope he learns that. Uh, you, you would think after getting hit two times by a wall uh, that that would help. And also, he's got a damn free safety out there in center field that he's going to have to avoid every day. Um, but I refuse to believe that he can't be a serviceable left fielder. We saw Kyle Schwarber, who came up as a catcher, uh, good enough, good enough to play out there in left field for the Cubs. And I think Eloy is a good enough athlete, even though it doesn't look like it. It's very, you know, it's he's kind of. He's a, just to hit, all his motions are kind of they're not very fluid, but I think he's he's quick enough to to play a, a a replacement level left field because I think the best iteration of the White Sox is him in the outfield and then another bat at DH. I think you can't afford to put him at DH and then what? Who do you you know who do you have to to replace him in the outfield? Like you could be better sign George Springer because your outfield depth in the minor <laughs> leagues is not really given us a lot over the last calendar year. But if they want to be successful. Uh, he's got to be playing every day in left field. And the standard MLB protocol for concussions is seven days in uh, in 2020. So we may not see him for a week if, if your instincts are right, and I think they are too. And I was wondering how much of that little test they were giving him is he's probably listening to Ricky in Spanish as the trainer is out there in English telling him what to do. So I'm, I'm not going to put – too much stock in, into what we saw in that brief video because there's you know he's listening to one person and trying to follow someone else doing something else. So I try to take that in consideration as well. So it's because if they come out tomorrow and say he didn't have a concussion, I would I would believe that based on sort of the, you know it's an imperfect test in the setting that he got it today. But it's, it's not good either way. Like if he if he dinged his shoulder up, then you're you're talking probably a couple weeks. If it's a concussion, you're talking a week. So and you don't want to have you don't want to wish a guy has a concussion because it's the less amount of time he'll serve on that injured list. So it's just it's frustrating to see where we have all these. 2019, 2018 things popping up again that we're still talking about and Eloy Jimenez's outfield awareness, not even the defense. I can live with you just being bad out there or having a weak arm, but just the I need the awareness from you, big guy, to just not get yourself hurt because we need you in that lineup on a day-to-day basis. Um, other things today uh, that are in the not good file, there's more not good than good here in the first three days, and we're going to look at it in this lens because it's a 60-game season, so... Tim Anderson was 0 for 5 today. He was 2 for 14 in the series. Do you have any concern for Tim Anderson going forward? I'm not concerned uh, as if he's going to be this guy, but as we said in our preview, I don't think Tim Anderson is the 331 guy. I think he's a mixture between the 331 and the year before, so like a 285, which is good. And the I think the added pressure of hitting leadoff probably is messing with him and the twins pitchers are good they're you know barrios is good uh the guy yesterday ready dubneck he pitched well but i don't think he's you know uh anybody at the top of anybody's rotation and then kenta maeda is tough on righties in his career so let's go to cleveland let's see what he does versus the four and five and then the top guy uh who is shane bieber on this week 
and see if he can adjust to what they're offering him. I see Timmy eventually getting out of this funk and doing some work. Uh, he's too he's too good just to be a bad hitter. I mean, we saw some of the lackadaisical defense this weekend, which I thought we had left in 2019, but you know, I guess they creeped over to 2020 uh, yeah. as uh, God damn it. I just can't believe that Timmy uh, flubbed a couple of balls. I mean, he's saved by Jose Abreu on one of them. So uh, the bat will play. The bat will do its thing like it usually does for Tim Anderson. And hopefully it starts Monday in Cleveland. And Monday, we've like you said, we've got Dylan Cease on the mound for the White Sox against Aaron Savale for the Indians, making his first start, obviously. Last year, he was 3-4 and four with a 2-3-4 earn run average in 10 games for the Cleveland baseball franchise so it's a big one for the Sox on Monday and we'll of course uh, have your post-game recap for it uh, after Monday's game finishes uh, Yasmani Grandal got his first hit in a White Sox uniform today Yay! <laughs> well it, it helps because when you when you don't play in a game you can't get a hit he wasn't in Saturday's lineup they turned out to, to not need him uh, but we'll get to lineup construction in a second here but he didn't play Saturday and Grandal finds his way in the lineup today gets his first hit he was one for two with two walks so Instead of talking about what he did today, it was you know you never want to see a guy go through the first three games and then go on the road hitless, especially a big time free agent acquisition like that. But Ricky's lineups the past couple of days. The the big thing today was Moncada was on the bench today, and they said before the season started they're going to be careful with him. They're not going to see him play three, four, five games in a row because he's coming off the COVID nineteen protocols, and they just they're going to err on the side of caution with him because a lot of times with young players, you know, you don't can't always trust them when they say they're good to go. Now, there's a lot of things going on here. There are a lot of levels to this. Ricky also said before the game that he would be available to, to hit in an emergency situation. Um, he just wanted to keep him limited from th- baseball activities like throwing a baseball. So are you buying this? Uh, who's who do you, whose call was this today? Was, was this Yohan saying, hey, I, you know, I can't go today? Or was this Ricky just being proactive and saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to save you from yourself. We, you know, you you gave us a great outing in the first two days. Let's just keep you on the bench here and have you fresh for the Cleveland series." What, what did you make of it when you saw uh, the the Moncada news before the game today? I thought it was Ricky's move because the day before, it was news came out that Yoan had to beg himself into the lineup because. Ricky was going to do this on Saturday. He was going to give him the blow on Saturday and sit him out after that great game he had on Friday. And then Yoan begged back in the lineup. He's like, I'm feeling good. Put me in the lineup. And, of course, puts him in the lineup, and Yoan does Yoan things. And I understand he has to get some rest. But there's a, there's a day off on Thursday. I would have ran him for five straight games. So these three games versus the Twins, and then the first two games versus the Indians and see how he does. Give him that blow on the getaway day on Wednesday. Have an extra day on Thursday so be fresh for Friday versus the Kansas City Royals. You know, maybe I'm a little too, you know, put it pedal to the floor, but they're telling me it's a damn sprint, right? It's 60 games. These games count almost three times as much as just a regular game. So we need to have our best players out there available to play when the games are that important. They all count the same, but the momentum, the bat he's carrying right now, why would you want to slow that down? Why would you have Kenta Maeda just take a big sigh of relief when he takes the mound? He's like, oh, no, no, yo and Mancata, baby, let's go. I was listening to our counterpart, Nash, who does the Locked on Twins podcast he was doing like we were doing we were saying hey let's not let nelson cruz beat us he's saying let's not let aloy jimenez and Yoan mancada beat us let's pitch around those two guys if we can pitch around those two guys i think we have a chance and his a uh, post and i was like yeah they know that Yoan mancada everybody knows that Yoan mancada is currently the white Sox best player and don't get beat by him. And to have him out of the lineup, teams are going to be taking a deep sigh and thinking, man, we just dodged a bullet because we don't have that beast who can glove it at third and can crank it with the bat 
in that lineup. So we're a little bit better uh, off right now than we were when we thought where he was going to be in the lineup. So I'm not a fan of it. I know, understand their thinking, but I think it's just way too early to sit your best hitter third game out of 60. Come on. How about sitting your best hitter or your biggest free agent acquisition in franchise history, sitting him on day two? I understand we pre- we previewed it Friday night. We was like, we know Yasmani's not going to be catching the day game after the night game, but why he wasn't out there uh, DHing, uh, I, I'll never know because he gives you, on paper at least, he'll give you the best approach on the, uh, at the plate and give you the best at bats, and, and you need him. And especially after losing the first game to Minnesota, granted they ended up not needing it, but it was one of those weird days uh, where where Larry Garcia homers from each side of the plate. But yeah, that was baffling to me too. Is sitting Grandal day two, and I have to imagine Grandal's kind of a he's he's a personality, so I would imagine that he wasn't too thrilled with that either. I'm only speculating here; I don't know anything uh, about the details of that. But how could he like that? You know, coming over, for, you know, with all the hype and then sitting day two. It, granted, you know, this is one of the things that helps the Sox. They have depth in that regard. And James McCann had a great day and he handled Keiko well, you know, the, the two of them going back to their days at Arkansas. And so that'd be great if, if they have a, a rapport, but not at the expense of, of having Grandal out of the lineup. But that, that was baffling to me. And also Nicky Delmonico hitting second today mm. turned out to not matter because they got, you know, they, they got their dicks kicked in today. But it was just a few puzzling decisions early here. And I'm not going to be one of these guys ever that rails on a lineup because it's one of the parts of being a manager is knowing your guys each and every day. What can they give you today? What can I can I rely on you today? And sometimes guys are just like, hey, man, I just need a breather. Should they be asking for a breather in the first weekend? No, but there's other things that are happening in people's lives and the things that we'll, we'll never be privy to. But a baseball manager is privy to those things. So that's why I'll never in general – be a, a lineup guy. I will. I can debate lineup construction with you uh, for days. Like I, I don't think uh, Tim Anderson's your best leadoff guy. I, I think that should be Grandal. We talked about that at length. Um, at this point, you have to consider maybe bumping up Luis Robert uh, earlier in that lineup so you can give him more at bats. And he's the most dangerous hitter on your team when Moncada's out of the lineup. So I would maybe bump him up a little bit. So there's a few things already puzzling about about Ricky's lineups, but it's only three games here. Not going to panic. We're going to you know wait another week or so, see where the Sox are at. But can't be happy with where the Sox are sitting here, one and two, going into Cleveland. They have a tough team. It's going to be a big test for them. But you know, Tanny, I'm not necessarily a results guy, results-only guy. I wonder about the process. What is he thinking about putting Nicky Delmonico in the two-hole? That's a guy who barely made this team. He only made it because Nomar Mazzara is out for the first, I don't know, however long. But he made the team, and you're going to put that guy at the two-hole. So he gets the second most at-bats for your team. A guy who barely made your team. Why would you want that? Even if he went off four for four today, a couple home runs, the actual results don't make the initial decision correct. You gotta have a process about it. If he was thinking, I want right, left, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, I can argue about that, but at least I could say, All right, I see where he's coming. We know already you about Ricky. Lefties, Ricky's thing seems to be the old school righty lefty, righty lefty thing. Like they he loves that element of it. As it's an old school way of thinking. How how long did it take for him to come around to hitting Jose Abreu higher in the order? Remember that when he experimented with that a couple years ago, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, and then he like railed against the people who said he wasn't in favor of analytics. So yeah, Ricky's got some old school tendencies. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's definitely a Ricky trait, uh, along with the bunting at least of last year. But the righty lefty thing, uh, he he thinks that that's a better play than having your best hitters at the top of the lineup. And this is the thing, though. If he would have did any type of research, any type of analytics, he would know that Kenta Maeda is really tough on right-handers. So the righty-lefty thing or having a bunch of lefties versus Kenta Maeda would have actually worked. He would have done a good job to have more lefties in the lineup. But not Nicky Delmonico, number two. You have other lefties. If you want to, after a big game, put Lurie Garcia at the number two hole, I would have been fighting against it. But I, then I was like, you know what? 
That man is on fire. He had two home runs yesterday. He's a switch hitter. He could hit lefty off of Kenta Maeda. I get what you're going. He would have did that with Yasmani Grandal. I would have been like, hey, man, I'm in. Go ahead and do your thing. But Nikki Delmonico, come on now. It's just like, what's your process? What is your thinking going into that? Just because he swings from that side of the plate doesn't mean he's good for that position. And that was the revised lineup. Like, he had initially had Eloy Jimenez in the number two hole behind Timmy. And I was like, you know, that's not great. But also, that's your number two hitter is deadly as hell at Eloy Jimenez. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's see what we can do versus Kitta Maeda, uh, his first American League start. But I just, uh, I'm just very, very perplexed on what he does. And then also, I... I think on an earlier episode, I said that, of course, they're going to have, yes, Monty Grandal start the first game, even if it is Lucas Giolito, who pitched well with James McCann last year, because he's your big-time free agent acquisition. You're not going to have him sitting on opening day. Got it. I would have probably, in the future, Lucas looked terrible on opening day, and it could be attributable to nerves or whatever, a lot of things, but... If he feels comfortable with James McCann, make that his personal catcher and then have Yasmani Grandal either DH or play first base that day when Lucas is pitching because I need to have my players at the 100% level that they think they're at because it sometimes this stuff is mental. If you feel like you're pitching better versus uh, with a guy like James McCann behind the plate instead of Yasmani Grandal, Maybe that is the edge that you need. And I want that edge for Lucas Giolito because he looked terrible his first start. And I don't want him that, to be that because we have way too many holes in that starting rotation for our ace to be kind of shaky. Well, I, all I can say in that regard is this. It may not matter in the long run because I don't know if you saw what happened with the Miami Marlins today. Did you Did you see that story with the Marlins and Don Mattingly? I did see that story, yes. Um, this, is, this is a big-time red flag here uh, and if you're a baseball fan, and this could be one of those moments here where we look back and I'm like, damn, it was right there for us all along. So Dan, Don Mattingly comes out today. He's the Marlins manager, and he is imploring baseball to expand the taxi squad so they can have more guys accessible to them uh, on the road and it's because they had an outbreak of, of positive COVID tests on the Miami Marlins uh, this is from the AP the Marlins scratched right-hander Jose Urena from his scheduled start t- Sunday in Philadelphia and delayed their post-game trip home amid concerns about a possible coronavirus outbreak within the team no reason was given for Urena being scratched in the series finale which Miami won 11 to 6 Don and Manningly decided that the Marlins are gonna have to wait until Monday to leave Philadelphia and they plan to arrive in Miami hours before their home opener against Baltimore. The trip might be made while multiple players remain in Philadelphia. Just a, a quick aside, is there anything worse than uh, having COVID-19 and being quarantined in Philadelphia, Herbie? What, what, what could be worse than that, in your opinion? Being quarantined in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Philly. I'm not going to rag on Philly. I've never been there. But uh, from what I hear, it's it's not one of our our, our finer stops along the old American highway. <laughs> but yeah, my guy, my guy. I don't know if you remember uh, Johnny doing things. Yeah, Andre Cherry. Yeah. He lives out in Philly now. Okay. He swears by. It. He says Philly's great. So okay. The uh, only thing I've ever heard from Philly was from Shep. But you know. I'll take that with a grain of salt. Oh, and God. Shep says, I don't think Shep likes Philadelphia either. No, yeah. So, But, yeah, that, that, that's it's an alarming thing when all of a sudden you just have an outbreak on your own team. Um, you know, you can talk all you want about, you know, players living responsibly and, you know, the duty they have to each other and, and you know, but stuff like this is going to happen. And this is – I, this is what I worry about in terms of the whole, the big picture of all of it, the whole MLB season. I think it's just a house of cards just waiting to topple over. And what happens if the Miami Marlins can't play their their home opener, or if they can't field a team? Like you know, eventually they'll have enough guys from their taxi squad to field a team. But what happens when there's an, another outbreak? You know, this 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 thing is just it's brutal. You can't go forward and have this be a thing already. With after three games of the 2020 season, and all of a sudden you have an outbreak, not just one guy uh, before the season starts like Mazzara, but you have an outbreak on a team as they're traveling. The teams haven't even traveled yet. 
like this is before they even get set sail back towards Miami from Philly. They haven't even begun the official travel yet. The Sox haven't even departed for Cleveland yet, and already we're seeing this. So level of concern about this going forward. Um, I think most teams and most uh, front offices will have very little outbreaks or very little um, COVID related cases because they're so locked down. I don't know how these three or multiple Miami Marlins got these cases. Pennsylvania, I think, is pretty well, you know, locked up. I mean, you can't really eat inside of restaurants. I'm not sure how if they're going out late nights and gallivanting the streets and then catching COVID or this happened in Miami before they came up to uh, Philadelphia. But I think most teams will have this stuff in order, have their players and their support staff in their hotel rooms, not communicating, not going out, not having these parties, not drinking on the road unless they're into their hotel bar and just secluded with only their team members available to be in there. So Anthony Rizzo kind of spoke to this today. He said, like, Cincinnati's a hotbed for COVID right now. And we had somebody had to go in front and make sure that they did a deep clean of that whole um, clubhouse that Detroit's occupying this weekend when they took two out of three from the Reds. Make sure their hotel rooms are are tip-top and sanitized because Anthony Rizzo and John Lester are guys with pre- uh, with the uh, compromised immune systems because of cancer diagnosis they've had before. This is a death sentence to some of these people who going or, or baseball players who are youthful, got good immune systems otherwise, and you would think, okay, they're healthy, they're one of the top athletes in the world. No, these people have you know things they're dealing with, and they have families they got to go back to. So they're scared, and I'm sure Anthony Rizzo sent a chilling message down to the rest of his teammates. And the same thing with Tommy Hadovy, who had COVID, and the same thing with John Lester, who's had cancer. The thing that they don't want is to have this at any point for their team. They started off well. They probably just want to end this season out. I think most teams are going to see how serious this is and make sure that people in their traveling parties are on it and have a person at the lobby if they need to, to babysit and ask every single player where he's going. Where are you going? Okay, we'll have somebody go and get that for you if you need that. Go back up to your room type of thing. Oh, you need some food? Cool, we'll order it. Go back up to your room type of thing. That's what they need. They need to babysit these guys, especially the ones who are young and want to go out and do whatever they want to because I think people know that, you know, if you act irresponsibly, and I'm going to say the Mar- Miami Marlins did act irresponsibly. This Sometimes it's just a roll of dice and some people are going to have it. But for teams to get it now, I'm going to look at it with a jaundiced eye and say, mm, did, you, like, did you do all the things you can do to prevent having this? It's going to be really questionable if you, you know, one of you guys went out and did something. And you now you see the outbreak is going to happen. Certainly troubling, and we hope it's just a minor a minor blip, a minor bump in the road in terms of the MLB season 2020 and the big picture. But as far as episode 51, that's all I've got here tonight, Herbie. Episode 51 of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. You know, there's so many different makes and models of automobiles these days. It can be impossible at times to find all the parts you're looking for at your traditional chain stores. Why endure the intimidating questions and trying to find stuff in the aisles while you wait till someone comes around the counter and who's helping someone else and you're waiting to help you? Why do all that silliness when you can just go and visit our friends at rockauto.com? rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to 
to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need, absolutely everything you need, in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. And best of all, Herbie, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts at a chain store? No, no, no. Don't need to do that. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And don't forget to do this. So important. Right locked on in their how'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com it's just one series uh, one and two on the year only a game out of first place it sucks we played like shit for most of that series but it was also promising to see the bats show up on friday and on saturday let's go to cleveland get a good meal on us and let's go on, take two out of three from Cleveland, and we're right there. We're right back where we need to be at 500 before we go and play the Royals. That's the bare minimum I want, because if they go and only get one from these guys, that's a hole. Or if they get none from the Cleveland Indians, man, that's a horrible hole that you don't want to be in, even though you got the 16-team playoff situation this year, so it's not as dire as it seem to be before they made these new rules, but it's not a good place because Detroit's looked excellent this week versus a team that I think was the NL Central favorite and the Reds on the road. Detroit took two out of three. They don't look like they're going back. The Royals don't look like they're just going to be folding up the tent and going back. And definitely the Twins and the Indians are top-notch teams, so Sox got to bring their A game every time they go out to play, and I hope that this weekend when they go out to Cleveland, go out to Kansas City, they do some work. Well, yeah, if you asked me before all this started, after the first six games that the Sox were 3-3, three and three, I would I would definitely take that um, even before all this. So hopefully they can right the ship a little bit. And maybe it's a lesson learned early on. If, if they didn't learn it this weekend, that the Twins are still the team to beat in the division, despite what people like me say. And you can't get by just on your, your youth and exuberance and, and your confidence. Just because you come out of spring training and you're confident in your ball club, it, you, nothing is given to you at the major league level. It's all earned. So even if they lose two out of three in Cleveland, maybe chalk it up to a, a, a learning experience, but they're going to have to learn quick. You know, We're not running a school here like the great Paulie Walnuts once said, so they're going to have to get it together. <laughs> and they don't have time to just you know chalk it all up to, to – learning how to win they've got to adjust quickly here on the fly but I would hope that the twins now have their attention as they're they're still they're they're the cream of the class they're the team to beat until they prove otherwise so for episode 51 that's all I got Harvey that's all I got too Chris Tannehill so this is episode number 51 tomorrow we will have post game of that game versus the Cleveland Indians Aaron Savale versus our Dylan Cease. Join us right after the game. We're going to probably release an hour after the game, so we're going to have some instant reaction. And your Mailbag Monday questions or comments, send them to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LockedOnSocks. You can send us questions there, but it's just much easier for us to find your questions and comments on LockedOnSocks at gmail.com for our Mailbag Monday. So for Chris Tannehill, where you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Tannehill, I'm Herb Lawrence. Follow me at Ecknerwall23. This has been episode number 51 of Locked On Socks. Good night.